Greetings, everyone, and before I begin ranting and raving incoherently, I thought I'd tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need to do it all in one place. And believe me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone. And when you host through Anchor, you can distribute your podcast through listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and even more. It has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, it's free. That's right, Anchor is free, and who does not like free? So if you're interested or you want to make your podcast today, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Ludicrous Car Review. I apologize for posting this video a tad late, as I had some family matters that needed to be attended to, and it kind of bumped back my scheduling. But as an apology, I'm bringing to you a bit of a special episode this week. You see... As I hinted into my previous episode, I have been doing some research into possibly buying a classic car. More specifically, a 442, an old 442. A 1968 old 442, that's probably going to be one of my favorite years of the olds. Anyways, but it came to my attention upon trying to do research for this car that, while there wasn't much research to be had, sure there were many articles about it, but not many podcasts or YouTube videos, just kind of going through the history and the overall, well lifespan of the 442. So, I decided that I would take it upon myself to do my own research and to fill in not just for my own car research, but also to share with you in case you happen to own a 442 or and maybe looking at purchasing one. So, before we get on to the 442, let's talk about Oldsmobile itself, and then we'll get into the 442. It's in different variations over the years, and it's last iteration before meeting its unfortunately sad end so join me on this special edition episode or rather the history episode of this ludicrous car review of the olds 442 so before we get into the 442 let's get into the company that made it oldsmobile oldsmobile during the time was a branch of the general motors division it was originally established as the olds motor company way back in 1897 and in fact made it one of the oldest car manufacturers in the world and unfortunately it met its after producing 35 million vehicles unfortunately in 2004 ended up meeting its sorry end along with several other beautiful divisions of gm during the uh, well buyout phase or just before the buyout phase of well government motors as it's often called anyways back in the day pontiac in 1963 ended up rolling out a certain performance package for the le mans car that made it well pretty much famous and throughout and when 1964 model years came out it was a dominant force practically for every young kid on the block as we all know this car as the Pontiac GTO. The GTO was a performance subset of the Le Mans package, and it produced a boatload of power with a 389 cubic inch V8 engine. Now, that's not to say Oldsmobile, which at this point, other than producing its F85 package, was kind of, well, it was kind of known as the old people's brand. Let's face fact, Pontiac was the cool of race car brand, the speedster brand of the group, and GTO would end up kicking off the muscle car craze and, well, muscle cars in general. But, obviously, Oldsmobile saw the success of Pontiac and decided that they wanted to compete with this very successful package of the GTO. And thus, they decided to get working on a special branch of car. 
So, with 1964 seeing great success for the Pontiac GTO model, Oldsmobile engineer John Belts was put in charge of creating, and well, aided by Dale Smith, I should add as well, a chief engineer, Bob Dorschmier? Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah, I want to butcher some names, so I'm going to end names there. But basically, these three individuals were placed in charge with creating a competition piece for the GTO. Well, they took a package that already existed, the B09 Police Apprehender Pursuit Package. This was optioned into the later as now famous 442 package that we all know and love. This 442 package from a four-barrel carbureted 330 cubic inch engine, also known as the L79, using several different retainers of valves, spring retainers, push rods, and several other pilot camshafts. Basically, they dumped out the ump out to this thing to about 310 horsepower. Torque range would remain the same at about 350 foot pounds of torque, but the peak range rose from a whopping already large 280 RPMs to 3600 RPMs, a significant boost in torque ratio. But while Pontiac GTOs were good handlers, Oldsmobile made a special credit to try to make this car an exceptionally well-handling vehicle. It enhanced its package with a heavy-duty HD suspension package with a 30% higher rating on the springs as well, and the shocks having 50% more restriction, basically adding a much stiffer ride to the vehicle as well. They even increased the diameter of the sway bar to keep from body roll and everything else like that. So, it created a well-balanced, produced a decent amount of power, and pretty much a pretty good car overall. Now, that's not to say uh, it also included many other crucial factors. Its gearbox, its manual gearbox, was a heavy-duty gearbox. It included different sport wheels, different suspension packages, as I mentioned before. It even had its manual steering ratio cranked up quite a bit. It also had a performance rear axle, dual exhaust, sportier wheels. Basically, they decked this thing out with everything they could possibly think of. Add that up, they added well, the 442 medallions to the deck lids and several other places as well. Now, more specifically, though, this automobile package, while being a bit cheaper than the GTO package, have a major difference. It did not include GTO's power brakes, power steering, and stuff like that. Those were options, but it would make the car a bit more expensive. But overall, the Oldsmobile 442, even with those options, still ended up being cheaper than your GTO package. Because in the end, this was back in the day when GM would allow competition to happen between its different subsets of brands. And obviously, they decided that they were not going to fall behind Pontiac in the muscle car game and wanted to get in on the, well, now big craze that GTO had kicked off. Now, all these cars, these 442s being built, were built on the same frame and overall design as the F85s, equipped with pretty much the same set of engines. They just decided to beef everything up with HD frame options and stuff like that later in 1964. But overall, the car's standard equipment wasn't too bad. Now, if you happen to own a 1964, there's one thing to keep in mind. This car does actually does not have an option code on the data plate. This means that documentation doesn't really tell you where that 442 is built, making it a little difficult to track down if it is a true 442 or not, because it could show it was either built in both Lansling and Fairmont, so it made tracking down the car a little bit challenging. Now, you're probably wondering, I've said 442 multiple times, how'd they come up with the moniker 442? Well, the 442 is based on a set of numbers produced throughout the car. More importantly, four barrel carburetor, four speed manual transmission, and dual exhausts, 442. So this was actually added to the F85 or Cutlass model 
except I was getting good in the station wagon. But the Cutlets were strictly a hardtop option. And with the B09 option, didn't quite say that, that was the option number for it, it a total of about, well, just under 3,000, basically 2,999 were built. The earthy ones were pretty much muscle car monsters. They lacked some of the power options and some of the options available automatically in the GTO, but it was a relatively cheaper option. But unfortunately, Oldsmobile wasn't quite as big as Pontiac already was. Now, GM Corporate's sanction on their V8 engines was beginning to get lifted in 1965. Their 389 was obviously big ones, but they got dumped into the, well, the GTO model. But Oldsmobile, not to be left behind, decided that their standard issue 330 cubic engine just wouldn't cut the deal. And so they produced a new 400 cubic and 6.6 liter V8 engine. Now, this isn't the Pontiac 400 that would later become famous, but before Pontiac was producing its famous 400, 442 or Oldsmobile was already getting in the game. Now, the standard transmission was a three-speed manual shifter on the column, meaning they had to change the moniker a bit, but with the addition of the 400 cubic inches as a new standard, it obviously became, well, 400 cubic inches, four, four barrels again, and dual exhaust, 442 once again. The output in the engine increased dramatically, mostly in the torque range, as it had 345 horsepower, an already good bump, and then 440 foot-pounds of torque, a big jump and producing a pretty whopping, that is a big amount of power. See, torque is a key ratio because it allows you to get up to speed, and it made these cars monsters on the drag strip. Now they began to touch up this car, obviously it was still just a package addition, but they wanted to make it a little bit more flashy. They added chrome body sides and scoops adorned with the 442 badging and made it a little stand out quite a bit. And on the hood it had a chrome single snout air cleaner, which looked pretty dang cool under the engine. To be honest, the Oldsmobile engines, especially the rocket motors, were probably one of my favorite engines of all time. There was also later in the year an N98 package which was added, which added chrome large 14-inch wheels to the option as well, as well as a 6,000 RPM tachometer mounted in the optional console as well. So overall, while 65 didn't change a whole lot, it did basically beef up and already add some special features as well. Now, it did also have, obviously, standard four-speed manual transmission, which was, could be optioned in, but with the column shifter now being the main difference, the 400 engine kind of took the place of the four-speed manual transmission, and it began to give GTO a bit of a run for its money. Now, in 1966, there was a bit of a facelift with the old cutlasses, which were still the primary package that was offered for the 442. It came with a 400 cubic inch engine, the L78, which was rated at about 350 horsepower, a 5 horsepower bump, and with the same torque, 440 pounds of torque. Now, there was an optional 400 engine that offered even higher performance at 360 horsepower, the L69. It had three two-barrel Rochester carburetors on it, which created a pretty decent well, same torque ratio, but allowed a little higher top end. But the thing is, this package was a bit pricey at the time at $264, a pretty expensive option list. But more importantly, it would introduce a famous package that would introduce one of the most beautiful cars, in my opinion, ever built, the W30 package. Now, besides the convertible option, which was available in the hard top and the pillared coupes, this roofline, all that was the same C-pillars featured the flying buttresses, but overall the car didn't change a whole lot. It received a facelift, 
but they hadn't quite changed over to the more popular car models that we would later see, or way more famous by the W30 package later on. But the new kit did make the car a little bit more roundish in the fenders and made it a more muscular appearance. The W30 engine, though, was the big addition to this year and would become more famous later on down the road. It had an outside air induction system, which added a hotter cam and the underrated 360 horsepower in the L69. To be honest, it was probably ranked a little bit higher, maybe even 400 horsepower, some estimates say. But to be honest, numbers were being skewed a little bit just to make it sound a little more safe, even though it was probably unnecessary. The battery was also relocated to the trunk to make room for the air hoses, which would be coming up from the inducts on air intakes on the front of the car. However, this also prevented the package from being produced in convertible models, and in the end, only 54 430s, W30s I should say, were built from the factory, although additional 97 were produced for dealer installation. Basically, there's only about 100 of these 1966 W30 packages available, and to be honest, they're probably one of the more valuable car options there is. Not the more famous one, but actually more valuable because of its rarity. Again, this had the standard three-mission manual on the column, but again got its 442 from the, well, four-barrel and four-carbs, yada, yada, yada. We already know that by now. But more importantly, you could get actually four different manual transmission options, or not manual, three diff four different transmission options. The three-speed manual, which was standard on the shift column, a two-speed jetway automatic with a switch plate convertible. The hertz shifters also became standard equipment with a floor-mounted manual transmission, including an optional heavy-duty three-speed. So you could order any of these in a wide variety of options on the 442. Overall, 1967, there wasn't a whole lot of differences, with not much facelift going on and maybe a few minor uh, trim changes, but overall the car remained largely the same for 1967. It did include a 3-speed turbo hydromatic transmission, which would be one of the more famous transmissions options, but overall not much was really changed. However, there was one big change that ended up happening that actually ended up hurting the Oldsmobile. GM has a nasty habit of making policies that, well, kind of suck. You see, GM decided to institute a policy banning multiple carburetors for all vehicles except for the beloved Corvette and the Corvair, unfortunately, as well. I'm not sure why the Corvair mattered. And saw the demise of the L69 with its triple carburetors. They were an option for the Olds and for the iconic Pontiacs, basically available since 1957. Obviously, the, double 30, the W30 package still remained, but it would be produced by a four-barrel quadrajet carburetor, replacing its tricarb one. You would also see a bit of a facelift with new red plastic interior fender liners becoming part of the W30 package to kind of reduce a bit of its weight as well. Now, approximately 502 W30 engines were built to meet the NHRA homologation standards or rules, along with now that they had no idea how many dealer installed ones happened, but that's already quite a bit. Another big change that happened in 1967, which unlike the other 442 options that were often before, they could be either F85 or upscale Cutlass models, the 1967 package of 442 was based strictly on the top-of-the-line Cutlass Supreme series, and was only option for that for that car option, which included its sport coupe with a center post and the holiday coupe, which was just in the convertible, which the holiday coupe was basically just a postless, full, just side window car. 
1968, they would introduce the second generation of 442, which would become its own separate model all the way from 1968 to 1971. This saw a wider wheelbase in the car, and approximately in 1968, 33,000 were sold. Despite the engine displacement saying only 400, it produced, well, it was still based on the newer 455 V8 engines with a 4.25 stroke. The bore was decreased to make it a little less powerful, and the torque came out to around 3,000 to 3,200 RPM as the early 400s peaked out as about 360, mostly due to a Maya-based cam grind. Now, car, now the, engine, uh, the car's uh, well, the basic horsepower didn't really change that much. It still produced about 350 horsepower, and the W3s were still rated again at around 360. It also see the beginning of well painting the engine block color, which was something famous for GM. I mean, Chevy 350s had their red block, Bionics had their blue. They decided to paint theirs a bronze copper color in 1960, as same with 1967. It also included a red fire air cleaner, which is another cool option in the car as well. But in 19, the W30 package were options were equipped with a ram ear intake hose leading from the chrome top dual snorkel black cleaners to a special under bumper air scoops which if you honestly got first clients would notice but they're little tiny almost like exhaust pipes coming out the front of the car they're actually kind of really cool looking but more importantly in 1968 that is when things really kick off and produce one of the most famous packages ever available to a car in 1968 Oldsmobile partnered with Hearst Performance and Research Corporation to create the Hearst Olds and rather than adding just Hearst shifters with earlier models. The limited production, which ran only about 515 cars, about 459 holidays, and only about 56 sports coupes. If you have one of those sports coupes, those are one of the more valuable ones. And it started as a regular 442, but were treated with numerous distinct enhancements. Obviously, cosmetical and mechanical as well. The cars were painted a Pavarian silver or tomato color, with a liberal black stripe and white pinstripes. The exterior had an HO badge rather than the 442 badge. In fact, the car didn't really have any 442 badging throughout the entire thing. It was strictly an HO badging. Now this actually car had two different drivetrain options. The red 455 cubic engines were back with a modified W30 turbo 400 automatic transmissions. The AC cars got W46 engines which were a little bit different. They had a few different um, different rear ends between the two cars to get the same power. Both produced about 390 horsepower, with the W45 receiving the cylinder heads from the W30 and can shifts from the W31, making it more suitable for our higher RPMs. The car came with bucket seats or dual shifters in that main console. Basically, it got a full remake over, totally different from the 442, and even had options such as disc brakes, heavy-duty cooling, and an FE2 suspension, which would make it even better handling. You see, one big difference between the GTOs and the 442s that were kind of the distinctive, obviously not just with Hearst, but even just with the standard 442 model, was a distinctive difference in handling. Many people said that the Oldsmobiles handled a little bit better than the Pontiacs and could corner at much higher speeds, making them a bit more sportier than their Pontiac counterparts. Obviously, Pontiac was producing a decent more power and maybe even a bit more noticeable looks, but Oldsmobile still had the advantage when it came to handling and still produced a great amount of horsepower. This would include the uh, Hearst Olds models, but also include the uh, 
red fender wells and rare air setup on the W30, although it's more of an option. But the popular but not standard options including the TikTok tack, which is by far one of the best names for a tachometer I've ever heard in my life, and a wood green steering wheel and power front disc brakes were also optional as well. The big thing is this thing was a monster, and to be honest, it was one of the most terrifying cars on the drag strip as well, even scarier than a GTO in my opinion. It posted a 0.60 time of, of 5.4 seconds and did the quarter mile in 13.9 seconds at 103 miles an hour. It was a monster even today's standards. It would be terrified to drive up against. Anyways, now in 1969, we're very similar to the 68, except for the division tooth between the grills changed a little bit. It, the old grills had more of a kind of a solid design with kind of two square brackets on either side to hold the headlight housing and the grill kind of in the center. This had a more of a post of a hood kind of coming down, splitting the grill in two and the grill kind of falling in with the headlights. A little bit different, but overall still the same body design as the 68. But you see also some changes. The grill, the, or sorry, the uh, trunk lid inlets for the taillights were a little bit different as well. The wing windows were deleted on the holiday coupes and convertibles. But overall the car, like I said before, was essentially the same but more importantly it would also add a option for twin hood stripes to now accent the now well largely new double bulge hood on the front of the car and with these slight changes the 404 numbers nearly doubled in their previous size it also included a new package option the w32 high performance engine which was available with an automatic transmission it also came with its obviously its standard W30 with forced air induction system, but had the engine's base with a milder cam. Only about a total of 297 of these were built, including 250 sport coupes, which were the ones with the post. Now, the 3032 package also, though not mentioned by many people, also included a little bit, um, actually had a little bit of actually fuel economy. Yes, I'm not sure why anybody cared about that at the time, but yes, it did have a little bit better fuel economy than its W30 counterpart, but still not bad overall though the uh, Herstall would remain with obviously 442 and for the foreseeable future with a cameo white and fire frost gold striped paint scheme a large functional ram air mailbox hood scoops and a rear pedestal spoiler at about approximately 15 inches a um, 15 inch ss two chrome-plated rims, European racing meters, and 380 horsepower with the 455 cubic V8, which was detuned slightly from 1968. But 906 of these Hearst Holiday Coupes were built. Now, the one thing remains that in 1969, these paint scheme, by far, in my opinion, is one of my most favorite paint schemes ever to be put on a car. It only is, is right up there, in my opinion, with such ones as the Pontiac Trans Am's Firebird. It is just a beautiful car to look at. The black and gold is just a beautiful color combination with the hood scoops and the wing. It, it is just one of my favorite paint schemes ever put on a car. It wasn't quite as powerful as the 67 counterpart, but it was still beautiful to look at, my friend, and is honestly one of the more famous and more expensive liveries ever optioned for a car. In 1970, though, would be its basically its heyday year. It was the pinnacle of performance for the Oldsmobile. And in order to keep up with the horsepower arms race that was General Motors had basically been kicked off and every car company was getting involved with, the Oldsmobile responded with making the Olds 455 V8 the standard 
442 engine. That's right. No longer you could you get these standard 400 engine. You know, you had a 455 was your standard. A huge engine inside of a car, which already produced a whopping 365 horsepower and 500 foot-pounds of torque. With the W30 option, kicking up to 370 horsepower with the W30 option, it was a monster of a vehicle and a terrifying piece of work on the drag strip. Let me tell you, you see some of these people pull up with Oldsmobile and some of these old races, footage I've been watching, and you just see these Oldsmobile, the 442s in the 1970s, just take off and just wreck everything that pulled up on that track it was a terrifying build for a car but there was a big change also because they also had revised body style which actually improved performance and handling in the car as well the high performance v8 engine was offered with additional fiberglass hood which reduced quite a bit of weight on the front of the car with the w25 option which also included some functional air scoops and low restriction air cleaner in the car as well also adding in some aluminum intake manifolds a special camshaft and cylinder heads distributed in carburetor basically it reduced the engine weight just a little bit while also creating some decent performance numbers for the vehicle as well it also included a big step up for the 1970 an optional variable ratio power steering the first well not the first but obviously when the first time Hurst olds had power steering options available now, while the Pinnacle movie hit in 1970 and 1971, there began to be a softening of the muscle car sales. And it had been a decent decade for Oldsmobile, but like I said, all good things must come to an end. And we all know what would happen soon later on. Now, 442 returned in 1970 with only a few tiny modifications. The engine power output was down a little bit with due to a lower compression ratio affecting all of GM's engines because of, well... GM's beautiful corporate-wide policy once again. It basically required the engines to run lower octane, regular leaded, and low leaded or unleaded gasoline. Basically, you had to run all gasoline options for the car. And saw a little bit while well, the power rating, well, it dropped a little bit from 300 to 340 horsepowers. With the W30s only achieving about 350. It still was a good engine, still a good car. In fact, the lower compression ratio was even a little bit better for the torque band, allowing you to get up the speed a little bit faster, but it would mean reduced overall top speeds in the quarter mile, with the quarter mile only being done at about 15.2 seconds at only 99 miles per hour. In 1972, we would see the beginning of the end start to come up for, well, all muscle cars. Unfortunately, increasing rates on insurance and everything else like that began to affect, along with federal emission standards being kicked in, would begin to affect the cars all across the well, everything. Basically, big engine, big horsepower cars that sucked up gas and produced a lot of emissions were suddenly frowned upon by many people in the government. As well as insurance rates, these things, well, these cars were still very dangerous. I mean, a lot of horsepower makes people do some silly things. And obviously insurance rates began to get kicked up for these vehicles quite a bit. But more importantly, it would be the end of 442 being its own package. It would once again be reverted to an appearance package attacked on to the Cutlass Holiday Coupe. Basically the option package was a W29. And basically it would be available for the Cutlass Holiday Coupes, Cutlass S Sports Coupes, and the Holiday Coupe. Unfortunately... Oldsmobile 442 would never be its own bit again, but it still had some decent numbers attached to it. It still had its, well, rather famous suspension packages in the FE2, and had a pretty decent, well, pretty decent sticker price of only $29, and didn't really change a whole lot for the Cutlass overall, though. 
The W30 option was still available, but the engine was unfortunately very much restricted to only 300 horsepower and only 410 foot-pounds of torque. Not the monstrous numbers that were being produced last in let's see, last year, but well, obviously restrictions would begin to choke off for the, the uh, well, 442, and unfortunately the third generation would begin to spell its end for quite a while. The special edition Hearst Olds was still the well, it still tried to produce a monster car with a net horsepower, unfortunately remaining the same as the W30 package and only 300 horsepower. It became more of a appearance package for the Hearst, with just a few add-ons and not much else. Now, the third generation, in my opinion, is, well, kind of what ended up killing it. Now, there's not ugly cars, to say the least, but they weren't as beautiful as its predecessors. The third generation in 1973... Well, as it was being choked in 72, 73 would be strangled. 442 would basically be regulated to a, well, pretty much a handling and appearance package. Rather than focusing on horsepower and producing big engine numbers, it had basically been regulated to some different suspension upgrades to make the car a little better handling. It would also spend the end of the four-speed manual transmission as an option in Oldsmobile's cars. The engine, again, would also receive... A bit of a strangling as well with the standard engine only producing about 270 net horsepower now the 455 was still option available but it was only producing about 250 and the k models which was a code the 350 single exhaust produced only about 180 basically is being stepped down this l70 which was optioned for the four with the 455 in the w30 package was its top option at 270 horsepower but again would unfortunately be its well kind of its ending iteration for the 455 engine in 74 it would have seen maybe a couple more facelifts as the other cutlasses as well but a revised gill and taillights basically was about it it also included the unfortunate mandate of the 500 five horsepower five horsepower my god i'm getting this is getting along and i'm clearly losing my mind anyways the five mile per hour rear bumper which unfortunately did not make the car's appearance well look any better and um yeah 75 we're kind of running out of things to talk about because unfortunately 75 the 442 received revised vertical bar grills and continued basically to be regulated to a at this point it was basically shot down to a performance package not even a performance package more of an appearance package at this rate but most importantly it began to kind of show its age and um well regulation strangles happening you see, it would be the first time, basically since its inception, that the V8 engine would not be a standard in the 442 or any Cutlass model. It would be six cylinders to start, and you could option up to a 455 with 190 horsepower, very much a strangled engine, and it only had a three-speed manual. Now, there were some rumors going around on this time that due to the SAE gross horsepower readiness, or basically brake horsepower being the reason, since 1972, SOA was measured, even up to 1975, was equipped with a 455, only ranked at about 190 horsepower at 3,400 RPMs. But some say it would even have a bit more power, but it was still being strangled compared to its earlier predecessors. 76 was a bit more aerodynamic with a different change in the nose design for the NASCAR racing series. But again, there wasn't much else to really talk about. A few changes in facelifts, but not much else was really done with it. In 1977, well, 
it was kind of the last year for the 73 vintage colonnade body that had unfortunately kind of taken over and was not in my opinion the best looking vehicle from the mid 70s late 70s model it included a more again sloped front end for nascar looks and that but overall again would not exactly be a standout car engine officer um, offers were offers the engine offers were revised a bit with the Buick 231 V6 replacing the base model 3 Chevy 250 in 9.6 with optional power plants and the new Oldsmobile 343 Rocket V8 which only produced about 180 horsepower and um, as far as well overall the car just it was a bit of a lollygagger at that point the fourth generation was the final generation for quite a long time but would honestly receive a bit of a revitalization in the car as well it was downsides from the a-body platform introduced in 1978 and pretty much was made famous by the later on by the um newer uh, chevy ss's later on but it also included an aero back cutlass saline package as well but it included well, unfortunately, a reduced powertrain. The biggest engine you can get in this thing was not even a Oldsmobile V8. Well, it was a two-barrel Oldsmobile V8. It was the largest Oldsmobile engine you get, but you get the 305 Chevy V8 in either two or four-barrel, and it only produced a whopping... Well, to be honest, the horsepower numbers aren't even worth mentioning. It wasn't much else. 1979 would remain based on the Cutlass Saloon body, and Harshreel Olds rejoined in this year, based on the Cutlass Chaos, but it was basically kind of the last hurrah for Oldsmobile, first Olds for quite a long time. 442 would be changed slightly in 1980 with a more, well, a revised, a larger 350 engine being tossed into the car as well, but it also included a W30 badging on the right front fenders if you wanted them, and it included some graphics, some other things, but the W30 just didn't really change a whole lot. It showed the pretty much the same identical powertrain as the 1970 Hurst Olds, except with the exception of obviously the Hurst shifter not being there. Also available only in gold over white or gold over black paint. And only about 886 were built. Now these are actually not bad looking, but it just it didn't have the horsepower overall. Instead, the 442 is pretty much just an attempt, it's basically a appearance package with a little few upgrades tossed in for good measure. Unfortunately, Oldsmobile would end up taking a bit of a hiatus for about five years, and was finally revived in 1985 with the rear-wheel driving G-body becoming a hell of a lot more popular. Due to the demise of the Oldsmobile and Hearst officially collaborating with Hearst Olds, but Oldsmobile wanted to continue to offer performance-oriented cutlass models to the public. This resulted in a better renaming of the 442 package. It was now redefined as the car's four-speed transmission, four-barrel carburetor, and dual exhaust. Kind of the way it was almost originally. Basically, a transmission, carburetor, exhaust. The W42 model replaced the 1983 and 1984 Hurst Olds models and used the same 5.8-liter G V8. The shifter was mounted on the fore console between the front seats, which made it a bit more fancier, and including an F41 suspension package was also included as well. 3,000 were produced in the first year and were quickly sold, with more increasing in 1986 and even more, about 4,000 in 1987. Now, 
85 to 86, they would use the Cutlass Saloon model as their base platform, but due to cost concerns, and in 1987, they decided they would use the less expensive Cutlass Supreme model, which wasn't quite as sportier or better handling. The package had a beefier drivetrain, though, which helped overall design, well, not design, but overall durability in the vehicle. Now, something I forgot to mention back in 1983, Hurst 442 was kind of dead by this point, so I didn't mention it initially, but Hurst Olds was still the primary producer of the Cutlasses, and in some people's definition, that could be counted as a 442, so I had to mention this, because it's my favorite shifting package ever optioned in a car, ever. In 1983, Hurst Olds included the lightning rods a now famous transmission system which basically allowed you to act basically like a dragster basically allow you three shifting knobs in the center console one on the far side being the first gear middle one being second and then drive reverse neutral all being on the bottom basically allow you to shift the first gear second gear and then the final gear drive all at once it was truly magnificent and one of my favorite parts about those cars and i just felt i had to mention it because why not it was badass now the final generation in the forgotten generation of the 442 option was revived in 1990 to 1991 in the cutlass Calius or whatever it was i don't know it's barely worth mention it was barely a 442 the model used a 2.3 liter lg zero quadro four cylinder engine <laughs> And, well, four valves per cylinder and two camshafts, 442 barely qualified. It also played upon the W30 package using past variations of the 442, basically an option for appearance in that. But it was abysmal with sales. The W30 or 40 package in 1990 sold only about 2,000, 1991 only about 1,000, and in 91 the W41 sold a measly 200. GM literally referred to the 1992 1993 Oldsmobile Activia CSCV as the 442, the last distinguished use of its, well, unfortunately, a dismal use of its last 442, and this would unfortunately spell the end of the 442 for good, kind of dying with a whimper. So, overall, the 442, in my opinion, was one of the more dominant producers of muscle cars, and while it had a short run, much like most muscle cars of its day, and was largely forgotten by a lot of the populace, it is still a valuable car to get, and still very much competed with Pontiac on both the drag slift and the performance. Some argue that even the 442 had better performance numbers than the Pontiacs overall, and while it was still a monster on the drag strip, could portal its, hold its own quite a bit in the cornering and everything else as well. Personally, I still love the 442, and it is one of my favorite cars ever built. I have dreams of owning one, and I still am looking at a certain one at a certain dealership that I am interested in purchasing, and still am. But overall, yeah, that concludes my history of the Oldsmobile 442. It may have been one of the most dominant muscle cars of its day, and a legend in its time largely forgotten. I want to thank you all for listening to my little history segment today. I ran this episode quite a bit longer than normal, but I just felt there was a lot of information to include on the 442, and I wanted to make sure I covered a decent amount of it. There's a lot more information to be had in more special editions in these cars that I didn't mention, so if you have a 442, maybe do a little bit of research. There's a lot of options. Anyways, with that out of the way, I hope you all give this and my other videos in my overall channel a like, a rate, and review, and a 
subscribe to my channel. I appreciate you all listening. I hope you found this information useful. Have a great day and a wonderful night. Goodbye.